Hi everyone, this is Jen Van Hecken, and today we're reading Genesis 32. Let's dive in. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight." And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. 
So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. What I find so interesting about this chapter is that Jacob was afraid. See, he had really messed up. He had stolen his brother's blessing, his birthright, and now he was going back to face the music. He brought all kinds of gifts for his brother to appease him, and he even had a plan to run away and allow his servants to be attacked, in case it came to that. But that's not why it's interesting that he's afraid. Any of us would be afraid to face the person that we had hurt and lied to and stolen from. It's interesting that he's afraid because he already knows that God is with him. See, in the very first verse of Genesis 32, we read that the angels of the Lord met Jacob on his way. It's the very first thing he encounters on his journey. And it's not like he doesn't recognize them as angels. In fact, he actually sets up an altar and names it the camp of God. Jacob knows that God is with him, and yet he is still completely fearful. He still sends hundreds of animals ahead of him as gifts for his brother, and even gives his servants a very specific script to follow in order to appease Esau's anger. Jacob is fearful. I wonder if that's often the case with us. There's something in our life that we have to face. Maybe it's even something like Jacob that we got ourselves into. Or maybe it's just something daunting that we never expected to have to face. And either way, we've seen God show up in the midst of the circumstance. Maybe he's made his presence known through a time of prayer or by providing peace, or even through others who have surrounded us. But we just can't shake our fear of the future. That's what happened with Jacob. See, he encountered God's presence, and yet he still felt fear. He still worried about what Esau would say or do when he saw him, and he still made a plan to ease the situation. But here's what I love. Jacob, when he's fearful, stays in the camp of God. See, Jacob is fearful of his brother. He's done wrong and said wrong and basically messed up the entire family's fortune. But before he runs in aimlessly to fix it, he sends everyone away and he stays back at the camp, the camp of God. Do we do that? When we're worried or fearful, do we hunker down in the camp of God and set our minds to prayer? Or do we pace around our living rooms until we wear holes in the carpet, wringing our hands and wondering how God is going to come through? I mean, I may just be projecting here, but I definitely have some worn down carpet that would lead to this conclusion. I also think this is especially prevalent when we're in the wrong about something, when we've made a mistake and hurt someone else or done something that we know better than to do. We so often feel pulled away from God at those times that instead of looking to him for wisdom, we worry and fret and make a plan and try and handle it ourselves. And while Jacob did have a plan, he also camped out in God's place and cried out to him, I mean, he spends verses 9 through 13 pouring out his heart to the Lord. He actually prays, save me from the hand of my brother Esau. He knows that things are a mess, and so he hunkers down and prays. I wonder if sometimes we shy away from that. I think we often realize that we are in the wrong about something, 
And so instead of leaning into God for his grace and mercy and protection, we avoid him altogether. We want to hide our sinfulness from God, and so we hide under a blanket and watch Netflix for hours on end, hoping that will ease the situation. But here's the thing. Psalm 139 reminds us that we can never flee from God's presence. It reminds us that if we go to the depths of the earth or travel to the far side of the sea, still his hand will guide us and hold us tight. Friends, no matter what the situation it is that we've gotten ourselves into, God still remains faithful. I mean, Jacob's name literally means deceiver. He was deceptive from the start and basically tore his family apart. And yet, the angels still met him, and he still had the courage to cry out to God in prayer. And from that, well, God showed up, and not just in a spiritual, whispery, delivering of peace kind of way. No, he showed up. He literally met Jacob on the banks of the river and wrestled with him all night long. See, I think that God wants to get our attention, and sometimes he has to take us down and fight with us, in order for us to experience his power. I love that in this chapter, Jacob starts by asking the man that he's wrestling for his name, and in the end realizes that he's wrestled with God. I think that's so true for us. Sometimes we don't realize who or what we are fighting. We struggle intensely, but don't realize that God is in the midst of it with us until the fight is over. We lay awake with our thoughts and wrestle through our situations, never recognizing that God is molding us and bending us and shaping us along our journey until we're on our way to the other side and we have this aha moment and we're able to look back and realize that God was with us all along and that we have been changed because of our struggle. See, when God wrestles with Jacob, he changes his name. He blesses him by changing his name from Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel, which means wrestles with God, or as one translation states it, triumphant with God. I love that. I mean, seriously, if God can take Jacob from being the deceiver to being triumphant, just think of what he can do for you. But, and there's a big but, wrestling with God and coming out triumphant doesn't come without a cost. For Jacob, it was a limp that he dealt with for the rest of his life. His hip was displaced from its socket, and as he went to see his brother Esau, he limped his way there, humbled and slightly broken. I guess that's the thing. When we've gotten ourselves into a quandary, or made a bad decision, or broken a relationship with someone, and need to repair what has been broken, God will be right there with us. He'll send his angels, he'll come when we call, and he'll change us as we wrestle with him. But that change might come with a consequence. We might limp for a bit before we can walk again. We might carry the weight of what we've done despite the triumph that walking with God brings. And don't get me wrong, that weight is not condemnation. Romans 8.1 very clearly states that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So condemnation is never of God. But when we wrestle with him through our circumstances, we just may end up a bit more aware of who God is and who is really in control. And sometimes that can be hard, because even when we are moving in the wrong direction, we often like to think that at least we are forging our own path. And we are, until we get lost and stuck at a river that we can't cross alone. And we recognize that God is with us, and we wrestle with him for a while, and it changes our lives 
and we limp across the finish line. The, but the point is this. We cross the finish line. And I don't want to give away too much because tomorrow you'll be listening in on Genesis 33, which is so rewarding. But I think that you'll realize that the limp is worth it. Because crying out to God and wrestling with Him through our fear changes everything. It moves us from deceit to triumph. And triumph with God is worth limping across the finish line every single day. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about Genesis 32. Don't forget to listen in tomorrow to hear about Jacob's reunion with his brother. We'll see you then.